Welcome to the Davy Tree Expert Companies podcast, Talking Trees. I'm your host, Doug Oster. Each week, our expert arborists share advice on seasonal tree care, how to make your trees thrive, arborists' favorite trees, and much, much more. Tune in every Thursday to learn more, because here at the Talking Trees podcast, we know trees are the answer. I'm joined this week by Dan Cohen. He's an assistant district manager in the Boston area for Hartney Graymont. It's a Davy company. Welcome to the show, Dan. Hi, Doug. Thanks for having me. I just did a video. Says, I hate watering. <laughs> but even though I hate it, I know I have to do it. What's the first thing you think of when thinking about watering trees? Yeah, just like you said, I don't like to have to give anything more water and you know use our valuable resources when it's unnecessary. But certainly watering trees, especially new trees, is you know key bit of establishment, but also is really important for life. So I think you know typically what I'm, I'm guiding folks is lower volumes for longer period of times. You know, good saturation as opposed to you know shallow, more superficial, quick waterings, or even watering foliage, which is again something we can get into is really bad for trees as opposed to just watering the root zones. So let's talk about newly planted trees because, you know, lots have been planted and are still being planted right now. I'm sure watered right when they're put in, right? But then after that, how often should we have water on them? Yeah, of course. So certainly that's something we advise our crews to water, you know, during the installation process or shortly thereafter. But so much of the amount and volume depends on geographic location, time of year, you know, weather, location. So, you know, typically if you're done in the spring and we're having a normal, you know, precipitation filled spring, that's great. You know, maybe it's once or twice a week, depending on the the, the rainfall, especially during the summer when it becomes less uh, more, more sporadic in rainfall and, you know, either torrential downpours and then nothing, you know, I'm watering two, three times per week, depending on location. And again, doing that lower trickle, you know, heavy, heavy trickle of water for a longer period of time, really let that water saturate into the root zone, give the, the root zone, the soil a few days to start to uh, dry out and then resaturate the area. That's kind of the, the way to go. And a lot of it just depends on soil moisture, weather, how hot it is, you know, some other, you know, environmental conditions, if it's around a street or sidewalk, which may dry things out, warm up quicker. How has your rainfall been so far this season? Better than last year. So that's a great start, having very little last year. So I just checked the uh, local Massachusetts drought monitor, and we are not in the abnormally dry where we are just outside Boston, but Cape and the islands, parts of Western Mass and Berkshires are in the abnormally dry, which is, I think, the level just before drought. But I also know something that said we typically, I believe it was two inches of rainfall for the month of June, and I think we're at about an inch. So lower than the average, but better than last year. So again, it's not as dry as last year was, but still fairly dry out there. And anybody who works with trees, works with plants, it works in the garden, knows that it's much worse to have less water than more. Uh, you know, it drives me crazy because, uh, again, you know, like a lot of people, I hate watering, but you can't ignore it. It's got to be done. From your position, from your job, 
when you have dry conditions, how does it make you feel? <laughs> yeah, it makes me a little, I don't want to say nervous, but, uh, you know, maybe, um, you know, engaged and on guard. Because the first thing nowadays a lot of folks want to talk about is what can I plant that's, uh, you know, tolerant to drought conditions or lower maintenance. And two things I always talk about is, you know, one, we're not planting palm trees up here yet, even though we have some warmer winters, my winter like last year, we still had that, uh, you know, negative 20 degree temperature for multiple days. So we still have the cold extremes on that front. Uh, as far as like lower maintenance, less, uh, you know, water input plants, anything is going to need that initial water. So I always try to, you know, tell folks it's going to need any new tree, even if it's a, a succulent, is going to need some extra water initially that first season, first couple of seasons. The hope is going forward, you're just supplementing during the driest times, so the summer. And so just trying to be smart about the watering. Again, can they put the, the watering bag that helps? Can they put a hose on a, a heavy trickle and just leave it for a couple hours moving around in places and doing that once, twice a week, you know, depending on the environment. So just trying to be mindful of how the watering and be more, not just efficient, but more effective. And don't just, oh, I, I sprayed the surface real quick, everything wet and walked away. And you could do that every day and not do a, you know, a actual, you know, solid watering as opposed to less frequently, but, you know, larger amounts, larger volumes of water. Well, you said something really interesting there about the newly planted trees is how long to, that you do have to keep water on them. Uh, talk, talk again about that, that, this isn't just when it's planted. This isn't just for a month, but a new tree, especially spring planted tree, gonna need water all summer long and certainly until the ground freezes. Of course. And so a lot of uh, people have a misconception. Oh, there's no leaves on a tree. I don't need to water it yet for deciduous trees. But actually, you know, the roots are still active when the soil is above 40 degrees. So even if you put a new tree in April, not very warm outside, but the ground is warm enough. The roots will be actively trying to uptake water and, you know, growing, respiring. So you just got to make sure that there's enough water in the soil, you know, in the spring and then ongoing once that tree's in. And one of the most important factors with a new tree, new shrub, most of them have been transplanted from nursery. The roots have been cut to make it into a transportable size. So making sure that not just the whole area underneath the tree canopy, but actually just what is the, the new root zone is more specifically watered but then also watering the area beyond that. So now these roots can start to grow beyond that planting hole and expand. And the other part about the root growth is you really want to encourage roots to go further down and spread out. So they aren't reliant on one area where the water is constantly, and they kind of just become, you know, enclosed to that one spot where the water is. You want to encourage them to go seek out the water, go deeper and just become more uh, inclusive to the area where there's going to have a better response. We do have a drought or, in the time of, of less water. And the tree bag, is it called a tree gator? Is that right? Yep. How do you, yep, how, do you how do you feel about those? So they're, they're okay. They're, they're better than nothing. You know, typically that's just on a brand new tree. You know, some issues is people leave them on for too long. You know, it keeps moisture in a trunk and cause issues. A lot of the uh, municipalities around here have actually gone to when they install uh, guy stakes to support a new tree. They actually do that for a few purposes, more to show it's a new tree, you know, gives a lot of protection. And they actually put the gator bags, you know, two of them around, you know, two separate guy stakes. That gets the water just to the edge of the root ball there. It doesn't cause any trunk issues. And, you know, it's just a, another, another 
point to stand out to new tree. You know, folks, I think more often should use them if they're like in an urban condition. So like a sidewalk, a street side planting, where you don't have access to a hose, you can't leave a, cro- a hose across the sidewalk during the day, you know, it becomes a tripping hazard. So they have their use, but that should really just be the initial planting and not long-term, you know, other other ways to go about it might be, you know, taking a five gallon bucket and drilling holes in it, small holes where the water can slowly drip out. So much of it just make sure it's the right volume and the right amount of time. And those water bags you can fill up in typically between two and five gallons, they drain pretty quick. And, you know, in an urban environment, you might, might need to be filling those, you know, once or twice in the spring, but it could be between two and four times a week in the, in the summertime, you know, given the, the circum- different circumstances. And then how about trees that have been there for a while? Uh, do I water them or do I just wait? You know, certainly I've got, you know, some big giant oaks that I wouldn't water. I mean, I, I couldn't even wrap my arms around them. But smaller trees that have been here maybe three, five, seven years, when should I consider doing the same sort of thing, just letting it, the water kind of drip down in there? Yeah, of course. And, you know, it's hard to... Uh, quantify the volume of water that a mature tree needs. It's typically thousands, thousands of gallons. So pretty hard to, to supplement that. But certainly in um, ornamental trees, you know, to look at a tree and say, okay, well, I'm not going to wait till it gets stressed out. But for having a, a dry season like this or last year, and like I said, you know, maybe if you have a garden, putting on the hose on like a heavy trickle so it's flowing out, put it, you know, at one edge of the, the, the canopy underneath the canopy, let it saturate in for, you know, half an hour, an hour, move it five, 10 feet away, doing that for probably a couple hours per ornamental tree. And then doing that maybe once or twice a week during the driest time. So really when it's hot and we're getting no rain, you know, keep an eye on the weather is important. Thunderstorms are great. They can cool things down, but usually it's such high volume of water so quickly. It either runs off if the ground is really dry, it becomes hydrophobic and won't even saturate in. So actually, if you pre-water your area, you know, the area below your trees, when it rains, it's actually more likely to capture that water and infiltrate the soil as opposed to just running off. But the thunderstorms are just unreliable as a source of water, short of, you know, gathering it and using, you know, a rain barrel or something. So that is one way, you know, if you have no irrigation, if you have drip irrigation, you know, maybe supplementing ornamental trees have been established or been for a couple of years giving them some amount of uh, additional watering during really, really dry times. So again, those, those summer months is really just going to help the tree out. You know, and you can usually notice some of these issues with trees when the leaves start drooping, when it's really hot, especially some of that really hot baking afternoon sun. You know, just getting some water into the root zone first thing in the morning is kind of the, the ideal situation. Do you have properties that you guys maintain that where they use drip for the trees? Yeah, so majority of the properties we maintain, if they have drip, it was likely installed when the trees initially got installed. So those couple of rings of drip were below the canopy at the edge of the root ball. Likely have outgrown that. You know, sometimes they'll, on you know, real specific properties, real you know, key feature trees, they'll come and they'll add additional rings to kind of spread out as a tree gets larger. But for the most part, there's some ir- some amount of irrigation on a property between drip, you know, overhead spray sprinklers that typically will water the lawn. And most of the folks that have those systems are running them at some point throughout the season, whether to keep the lawn green. And that's probably not the best type of watering because it's, you know, more superficial stays towards the surface. The, the turf absorbs a lot of that water, but 
still better than no water. But having that the drip zone and other you know soaker hoses irrigating established trees is really beneficial during that you know hot dry part of the summer. Is there a time of the day when it's best to water? Yeah, so certainly the morning. You know, if you had uh, all things being even, first thing in the morning, you know, as the sun's coming up, even before the sun's come up, get the water in the ground. A couple reasons, you know, it's there. So as the day gets hotter, the, the moisture is in the soil. Uh, if you're watering, you can't avoid watering some of the foliage, you know, especially if you have a sprinkler. That stays on there overnight. It's going to cause issues. If it's put on in the middle of the day, it's going to magnify the water. It could burn, you know, basically uh, scorch the, the leaves. So first in the morning is really the ideal time to get it in there. It gives it time for the plants to dry off and just really to absorb the water as the, the day starts heating up. You know, I hear from a lot of gardeners who want to water at the end of the day thinking, well, there's no, there won't be as much evaporation. But, Dan, isn't that the problem, <laughs> that there isn't that evaporation? Exactly. So when you have the moisture sitting on, especially if you're using a hose and you're watering overhead, and we call it overhead because it's coming from above there, it's the water stain. There's no evaporation. So it's just sitting in place. And that's when you tend to have more issues with, you know, fungal infections, you know, just water sitting in place, you know, it could be issues if it's close to, uh, you know, homes. And so if you say I can only water once and that's the only time I have, yeah, sure. It's better than no water that day. But ideally, if there's a perfect time, it would be first in the morning so the plants have it when they need it. You know, if the day was 95 degrees and you water in the evening, you know, the plants are already going to be stressed from the, the lack of water in the soil from earlier that day. Well, I guess we should talk about mulch, too. And uh, we talk a lot about mulch here on this podcast, specifically volcano mulch. And so uh, let's talk a little bit about the right way to mulch and how that helps us with our watering. Of course. Yeah. So mulch is really a great tool to use in the landscape when done correctly. And as you mentioned, Doug, the volcano mulch is a typical, which just put mulch around the tree and we'll, you know, mound it up nicely. So it looks like a nice volcano to the tree trunk, which is really not ideal. One, when you have the mulch contact in the trunk, it keeps moisture there. The tree trunk, the tree branches are much like tree roots, except tree roots were meant to be underground and, you know, the tree trunk of branches were not. So when they constantly have moisture, you can have, you know, fungal issues, you can have disease issues, you have, uh, you know, insects that come, you know, you have decay. So avoiding the mulch contact in the trunk is probably the first thing. And then probably having the proper, you know, level of mulch. So only having, you know, maybe two to three inches at most around the, around the base. Too much mulch can just basically actually inhibit the root growth and encourage your roots to stay on the surface. You know, when we talked about earlier, you want those roots actually to go down further and deeper into the soil. You know, also having the right type of mulch. It's great to buy bagged mulches. Unfortunately, a lot of bagged and dyed mulches are just, you know, ground up pallets that have been dyed and they, they look great, but they're not adding a lot of value to it. You know, when you have a good age uh, wood chip bark mulch that has, you know, been double ground, that has leaves, twigs in there, that's actually adding something to the soil. It'll be a soil amendment over time. You know, it may not hold its color depending on what kind of uh, you know plant parts it's made from, but it's gonna actually gonna add to the, the soil and actually gonna you know invigorate and you know amend the soil over time as it breaks down and decays, as opposed to these you know what are old pallets you know was likely larger more dense wood material that really doesn't have much nutritional value to it. Tell me if I'm riding along in the truck with you and you look over to your left and you see 
uh, a group of landscapers that are volcano mulching up a big oak tree. What am I going to hear? Yeah, it's going to just be, you know, some, some snarky comment about, look at that, you know, Mount Vesuvius over there, whatever it might be, whatever volcano I can think of offhand. But, again, a lot of it's not for lack of, uh, you know, trying. They're, they're doing, trying to do its best, you know, the best intentions. Just don't have probably the knowledge behind, you know, why that's bad to do that. And, you know, they're trying to come in quick. They're on a limited, you know, budget and time frame, and they're trying to make things look nice. And then more, more often than not, just don't understand the science behind it. The, the more issues are actually going to cause if they, you know, put too much mulch in one area as opposed to not enough. And you'll get arguments. You'll get arguments if, you know, I'm certainly not going to stop and argue with anybody, but, you know, with you, you've got science behind you. Uh, and we try, try and, and tell people the right way to do this, but it, it's, it's, it's become so prevalent. People see it and they want to repeat what they see. I guess. I don't know. I don't understand. You know, yeah, I, think- I visit these properties, you know, just to talk about gardening with the, with them. And the first thing I say is, is like, come on out here. Let me show you what happens. How much mulch is on these trees. And, and this is, this is not good. You've got to tell them that, this isn't the way to do it, but they'll, the, these landscape companies will resist. Yeah. And so much of what we do is educate our, our clients and, and tell them. And so again, like you said, bring them out there, excavate the mulch and show them. Unfortunately, depending who's done the planting, especially if we have not done the planting and not that there aren't good landscapers and arborists out there, but a lot of times the tree itself is planted too deep. Never mind the volcano mulch on top of it. So trying to pull away that excess mulch, pull away the excess soil and show them the root flare, walking over to a tree at the edge of the wood line that's, you know, naturalized, planted itself, planted itself at the correct depth. You can kind of show them that root flare where the, the trunk widens to the roots, show them that that's the ideal location for, you know, above ground exposure. And then walk back to the, the volcano tree. It looks like it was a telephone pole, just goes straight into the ground. And then kind of, again, educating, explaining why, why this is bad, what could happen you know, the negative benefits. And usually once you've done that, it's kind of understood. And then, you know, I know I've had clients who go around and say, oh, look at these mulch volcanoes everywhere, the mulch volcanoes, because, you know, we've educated them to the point where they see that and they know it's not a good thing. And they now will joke with about other people about their mulch volcanoes. So let me talk about two other mulches and get your opinion. Uh, let's start with rubber mulch. I was walking through a big store the other day and I saw bags of rubber mulch. Uh, which I'm sure to homeowners might seem like a great idea. Gosh, I only have to put it down once, but what do you think about that? I have never seen it other than as a, a substrate for underneath playgrounds, which is probably a great area. Um, I think it's probably a terrible idea for the for the garden because just because you put it down once, you know, as we all know as gardeners, no a weed's going to come up regardless of what you put down, short of uh, you know a new layer of plastic every year. So. That just seems like it's probably not a great idea. I don't know what, how it's going to affect the soil, but I can't imagine it'd be great as far as the, what 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 comes off comes off of it, if the leaches, if it breaks down in the sun. But the only other thing I can consider is if you've had an urban environment where there's sometimes there's certain uh, types of pavement, do a permeable pave or like a soft pavement that's basically small rubber pieces adhered together. That's a different situation. But as far as bag rubber mulch, I would probably advise against. It. I don't think it's adding anything and probably going to complicate mid gardening much more of a inconvenience in that area. 
Well, the next one is gravel. So gravel is certainly better than the, the rubber mulch. That is probably more uh, an aesthetic concern. So it's not adding any nutritional value to the soil. You know, it's just straight bedrock, whatever type of stone or material it is. It actually and sometimes can keep an area cooler. You know, it's a, typically a lighter colored, so that's, you know, going to reflect more heat as opposed to absorb it if it's in a sunny area. But it then makes, you know, it might make weeding a little bit easier, but again, it's not going to add anything to the soil. In this perfect world we live in, you know, the reason why we, one of the reasons we mulch is not just aesthetics, but it helps to amend the soil. You know, we love to remove leaves from our urban environment because it looks nice. It's, it's neater when the leaves are gone, but that is a natural re, um, recycling and mulching method for trees. Without, without the leaves, which we'd then haul away, you know, you want to add some sort of fertilizer nutrients back to the soil. Mulch is one way you can do that. So again, the gravel, I'm not fully against, you know, it probably has its application, whether it's a little formal garden of some sort. It's just going to know that, you know, you aren't adding any nutritional value there. So you might want to find other methods to do that. And then again, if you are doing any additional gardening, it's great and like anything, but over time, Small debris is going to build up. If you see how forests are grown, it will accumulate, weeds will grow, and then still other gardening concerns that come in. It's never fun to dig a shovel right into the gravel. So long-term, I could see it being an issue, but it's not very highly maintained. You know, Dan, before I let you go, uh, talk a little bit about something you mentioned earlier is the teaching. Talk about uh, what you get out of educating your clients. Yeah, I mean, so much of our job, you know, my job, my associate's job as arborists and almost all of us certified arborists is, is education. And obviously we have services we can provide We you know, from plant health care, insect disease controls to tree removal. Although tree removal is not our specialty and we'd rather preserve a tree if possible. Really just comes down to when you walk onto a site, taking a look around, assessing the, the property and then, you know, talking to the 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 homeowner about what's going on and educating them. Here's what I notice. Here's what I see. Is this tree important to you? And talk about what you notice. So whether it's the insect issue or an insect that's there, that's not an issue. And, you know, again, educating them. Oh, that's actually a beneficial pest, a beneficial insect that's going to eat pests. Or, Hey, you have a mulch volcano here. You know, you have all these invasive trees that, you know, may not be an issue now, but are going to be an issue. And to me, actually talking with folks and, explain to them using the knowledge that I've gained over, you know, my years in this career, you know, my 19 on off years in this career and, uh, you know, my education, my background in urban forestry. It's really great when I get to share information. You know, I don't need to hoard information myself. I learn it, but I like to share it and guide others and have them make decisions based on, you know, my recommendations, what I'm noticing out there on, you know, each property. Each property is different. Some can be the same, but each property has its own, you know, plants, its own little microclimate, you know, and then the, the homeowners themselves. Some people love their trees, and other people, you know, it's just an inconvenience. I get a rake, I get a water, you know, why do I even have this? So just trying to manage manage people and then manage, you know, their, their trees and, you know, educate them so they can make, you know, sound decisions. Well, I'm going to leave it right there, Dan. That's good stuff. Thanks for schooling us on lots of great stuff. Uh, appreciate your time, and I'm sure we'll talk again. Doug, thank you. I appreciate talking to you. Take care. Tune in every Thursday to the Talking Trees podcast from the Davy Tree Expert Company. I am your host, Doug Oster, and do me a favor, subscribe to the podcast so you'll never miss a show. 
Next week, it's pests versus beneficial insects, an in-depth look at our trees and their connections with those insects. Got an idea for a show or maybe a comment? Send me an email to podcasts at davy.com. That's P-O-D-C-A-S-T-S at D-A-V-E-Y dot com. And as always, we like to remind you on the Talking Trees podcast, trees are the answer. <laughs>